to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. You know, there are um, a lot of different ideas floating around the, in the church world concerning healing and God's will to heal. You don't find too many people that uh, will argue the fact that God can heal. But there's a lot of disagreement about who God will heal. And um, with all the people in Jesus' ministry, the multitudes that came to him, the times where it says the multitudes were healed, of all the people that came to Jesus, there was only one guy that was in this particular man's situation, only one. Whereas it would seem that the majority of the church nowadays has this question, this unanswered question about them. So let's start reading in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when he, Jesus, was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. Now, leprosy was an incurable disease. Once you contracted leprosy, there's nothing that can be done for you, at least as far as medical science was, was concerned in that day. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus tells him to go fulfill the law of Moses, to do what uh, uh, was commanded for lepers that claimed to be cleaned or healed in uh, the Old Testament days. Now I want you to notice, as I said before, of all the people, hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands, of all the people that were healed or ministered to in Jesus' day, of all the miracles that he wrought, miracles of healing specifically that he wrought when he was here on the earth, there's only one guy out of all those people that had this question that we have record of. Now, what could that mean? That could mean that there were a lot more people that had the same question, but it wouldn't have been necessary for us to know because the answer was the same for everybody. His question is, Lord, will you heal me? He believes in the power of God, and most of the church world today seems to be in that spot. Most everybody nowadays believes that God can heal because they believe God can do anything. But it's not a question of what God can do. It's a question of what his will is to do. Now again, in this situation, this leper has complete confidence in the ability of God, but he doesn't know what his will is. And Jesus immediately, Luke's translation of this uh, same account, said Jesus was moved with compassion and touched him saying, I will be thou cleansed. And he was. So the answer to the question, will God heal you? The one that the Bible gives us is I will. To say that God would heal one person and say that he would not heal another is to discount the truth of the word which says God is no respecter of persons. Now we know that God has different plans and purposes for our lives. He's got you doing something different with your life than he has for me. And we all have a specific path and a specific purpose that God intends for us to follow. And so it's up to us to find out what that purpose is and walk in line with it. But when it comes to the things that belong to us, when it comes to the things that Jesus paid for and made available to us, God is no respecter of persons in any respect, in any regard. If he wanted healing for one and healing didn't want healing for another, if his answer was, I will be thou clean to one, and to another, no, you're going to have to endure this sickness because this is for the glory of God. Then we'd have to take out the pages or the scriptures that say, that say that God is no respecter of persons. 
Now, another proof that we have concerning God's will regarding sickness and disease, God's will for healing, is that the Bible goes into great detail in the Genesis account of the six days of creation. It tells us that God created specifically what he created and what day he created it on. And at the end of the six days, it says that he rested. He looked upon it and said that it was very good, and he rested. Now, that word rest in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, means something very specific. It means he made an end to everything that he created. So anything and everything God created had to be created in those first six days. Well, what day was sickness made? When we get to the end of the sixth day, when we get to the point where God made an end of everything that he created, he looked at the earth and he saw that it was very good and there was no presence of sickness or disease in any form whatsoever. God did not create sickness. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, talking about Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Sickness was not created by God, so therefore it's not his. If it's not his, it's not something that he could use. A lot of people in the church world think that God uses sickness and disease to teach us something. But the Bible refutes that. The Bible denies that outright. God didn't make sickness and disease. Sickness and disease are the product of sin. When God looked at the world, it shows us his intent and his purpose was that the earth, which he made for mankind, and therefore mankind should be free from sickness and disease. If God wanted mankind to be sick, he'd have made sickness, but he didn't. Add that to Acts 10.38, where it tells us about Peter preaching in Cornelius' house, telling us about Jesus from an eyewitness point of view. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing. Now the Bible calls healing good. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Now notice what that verse of scripture is telling us. It's telling us that everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. It's telling us that sickness is a work of the devil, not a work of God. It tells us that healing is good and that sickness is of the devil. It tells us that Jesus was commissioned to come to the earth to show God's will and purpose, his plan and his purpose concerning healing by healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. Now when you couple that with, John, with uh, James chapter 1 and verse 17, which says, Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Well, we already know that Acts 10.38 says that healing is good. And it says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. That means healing comes down from heaven. From the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness. That means healing can't be good in some cases and not so good in other cases. It means that sickness can't be evil in some cases and sickness be good in other cases. It says healing is always good and Jesus always healed because people were oppressed of the devil. Sickness is satanic oppression. It's the work of Satan and not the work of God. And there is no variableness in God, neither shadow of turning. That means he can't want one thing, want healing for one person and sickness for another. It's the same thing as saying Jesus showed us the will of the Father. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and 
forever, showed us that the will of the Father was for healing to always be for the benefit of mankind. Now, the number one hindrance, without question, the number one hindrance to people receiving healing is a question about God's willingness to heal them. They're not convinced that it's God's will. Now, we know that the Bible gives specific instruction to the church concerning sickness and disease. You might want to look with me to James chapter 5. We'll start in verse 13. It says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. The word afflicted means test, trial, or trouble. If any is undergoing any adversity, let him pray. Then say, have everybody pray for him. It says, let him pray. God will hear your prayers just as quick as he'll hear mine or anybody else's. And then it says, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. That means when things are going good, not too often do we ask people to do our singing for us. We're all happy to sing when things are going right, aren't we? But then he asked the third question. He says, is any sick among you? In verse 14. Is any sick among you? The question itself implies that there shouldn't be any sick among the church. Is any sick among you? Well, here's the instruction. Let them call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray for them, the sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, I want you to notice what it says. Look at verse 14. It says the instructions are to call for the elders of the church and the elders should pray. This word that's translated pray in James 1, 14, James 5, 14, excuse me, literally means oratory worship. It doesn't mean to ask God for something. It means to declare and thank God for something. So it says, let the elders pray over the sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Most people get their eyes on either the elders or the oil. And notice that it's not the elders that heal the sick. Notice it's not the oil or the anointing with oil that heals the sick. Notice verse 15 says very specifically, the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. This word save is translated heal in other places. It's the same word that's translated healed in Mark uh, chapter 5 and verse 34 where the woman with the issue of blood is spoken to by Jesus. He said, daughter of thy faith has made thee whole. It means a restoration of health. That's what the word saved means. And certainly salvation from sickness is healing from disease. So it says that the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. Now notice how that says it. It says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. Now we've already identified that it's God's will for the earth to be without sickness and disease. We know that because that's the way God made the earth. And God never changes. There's no variableness in any form whatsoever. God never changes. What he wanted for mankind originally is what he wants for mankind today. Now things are different because of the presence of sin which didn't exist when God created the earth. But that doesn't change the will and the plan and the purpose of God. That doesn't change God a bit. It changes some of the conditions here on the earth, but it never will change God. Never has, never will. So it's God's will for mankind to be free from sickness and disease. We know that in heaven there'll be nothing that can hurt or harm anybody, which means it has to be free from sickness and disease too, doesn't it? Well, why would God's will for you, for mankind, be different when you get to heaven than it is while you're here on the earth? 
God would be schizophrenic to be like that, wouldn't he? God doesn't want something different for you now than he wants for you when you're in heaven. That's why he made the heavens without sickness and disease. And that's why he originally made the earth without sickness and disease too. So the Bible tells us very specifically that it's not God's will for mankind to be sick. He desires and wills for mankind to be free from sickness and disease. So here's the question. If that's what God wants and everything is controlled by what God wills or doesn't will, then why is there the presence of sickness and disease on the earth? Most of the church world has the idea that God is sovereign. And his sovereignty, and he is sovereign, there's no question about that. But they have the idea, they're convinced, wrongly, but convinced, that the will of God is paramount. It's the only factor concerning anything, including sickness and disease. But if God's will is for mankind to be free from sickness and disease, and his will is the only thing that counts, then why is there the presence of sickness and disease on the earth? Well, the answer is very simple. It's because God gave man authority on the earth that he created. And man, through sin, through his disobedience, chose, whether he knew the consequences or not, he chose to allow sin and its consequences entry and access into this world that God created. And that's where sickness comes from. It's the offspring of sickness. It's the offspring of sin. And it's present because of Adam's original sin. So what did Jesus do? Well, again, Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. God enabled him. He empowered him to break the bondage of sickness and disease over everybody that he came to at least everybody that would accept it. Now, Jesus did not indiscriminately go around healing everybody whether they wanted it or not. The Bible tells us of the 19 cases of individual sickness, individuals who were healed from sickness and disease in the four Gospels. Now, some Gospel accounts cover the same one, so it seems like it's more than that. But if you count them individually, there are 19 different places or cases where individuals were healed. Now, that doesn't include the multitudes being healed or the 10 lepers or groups or things like that. But it gives us 19 individual cases where people were healed with sickness and disease. Of those 19, 16 of them were healed on their own faith. Almost 80% were healed on their own faith. We'll use Mark chapter 5 and the woman with the issue of blood for an example. Beginning in verse 25, it says that there was a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and was nothing better but rather grew worse. She spent all of her money on physicians, didn't get any help. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his garment, I shall be whole. And straightway she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power went out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched me? And his disciples said unto thee, Master, the, the multitude throngeth thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? That's King James English for the disciples saying, Everybody that can touch you is touching you. But the woman, Jesus looked around to, find about, find, looked around about to see her who that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, fell down before him and told him all the truth. Verse 34, And Jesus said, Daughter, Thy faith has made thee whole. Now we know when she touched Jesus, the healing power of God went out of him and into her. So certainly the healing power of God healed her. 
But Jesus does not credit the power of God with the results. He credits her faith. Now, why would he do that? I think he's doing it to make a point to us and to teach us. Since the disciples indicate that the multitude throngeth thee, that means everybody that can get within reach of Jesus is reaching out to touch him. Now, why are they doing that? They've heard the same thing that the woman with the issue of blood heard. They've heard how people are healed by the touch of Jesus. And people are reaching out and trying to grab hold of him and get something from him on every hand. So it wasn't the physical touch alone that did it, was it? It was the physical touch of Jesus. Then everybody that touched him would have been whole. But she was the only one that touched him in faith. And so Jesus said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, when it comes to receiving healing, there's two examples. We've just given you two examples. In James chapter 5, the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. I think it's interesting that James was anointed by the Holy Ghost, inspired by the Holy Ghost, to tell us that even if the sickness is a result of the individual's sin, that that's not a hindrance to God ministering to them or a hindrance to them receiving their healing. See, sometimes the devil wants to torment people and say, well, you're the one that messed up here. You're the one that made a mistake. You're the one that allowed this sickness and disease to come on you. And so there's no help or no hope for you. Not according to what James wrote to us. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. And if. It's not always the case. But on the occasion that it is. If he's committed sins. They shall be forgiven him. Now nobody has any problem with the forgiveness of sins part do they? Everybody knows that if you need to be forgiven from sin, whatever the sin is, whatever the consequence of the sin is, all you have to do is confess it to the Lord and he'll forgive you, right? Well, then why should it be any different when it comes to healing of the body, physical healing for the body? When the Bible says they go hand in hand, they're even part of the same prayer. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And if they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven them. There's no special prayer that you have to pray separate from praying for healing. It's all part of the same work. That sounds a lot like what David wrote to us in Psalm 103. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Well, what benefits is there to the Lord, David, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases? Those go hand in hand, folks. All throughout the Bible, forgiveness of sin and healing for the body go hand in hand. Now, then the question arises, how do we receive the healing? If it's not just a matter of what God wills, then how are we supposed to take hold of the healing? Well, Psalm 107 verse 20 says, God sent his word and healed them. God sent his word and healed them. But we saw in James chapter 5 verse 15 that the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. So how does that work together? When it says the prayer of faith heals the sick, and Psalm 107 verse 20 says he sent his word and healed them, how does that fit together? Well, remember over in, James, in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So the hearing of God's word produces faith. That's how the woman with the issue of blood was healed. She heard of Jesus. She said with her mouth, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She acted on what she said, and she received exactly what she believed for. She was healed. Why is that? 
Because whenever we hear the Word of God, and not everything else, not everybody else's opinion, but when we hear the Word of God and hold fast to it, believe it, accept it as truth, then it produces faith for us to receive whatever the Word has told us we have. So when it says he sent his word and healed them, it simply means this. He sent his word to develop faith to receive their healing, and they took hold of it by that faith. That's why the prayer of faith heals the sick. The prayer of faith heals the sick. So often people want others to pray for them concerning sickness and disease, but concerning everything else too. People are quick to say, pray for me, when what they ought to say is, teach me the word so that I can have faith to receive. Because for the most part, my experience with people coming to healing school and trying to get a hold of their healing, my experience with people is they're trying to get healed every other way except through his word. They want God to produce some kind of miracle, flash lightning from the sky and take away their sickness and disease or do some spectacular thing. And they miss the most obvious way, the primary way that God sent healing to his children. And that is through faith in his word. That's why the majority of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry. Now think about that. Jesus who had the spirit of God without power. There was no limit to the power of the Holy Ghost that was upon him. We already know that he was anointed to heal the sick. He said so. Others testified of him as well. God was with Jesus through the anointing power of God to go about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So he had the spirit of God without measure. He had the power of unlimited power of God at his disposal yet the majority of the people that we have record of that were healed the individuals that were healed in Jesus ministry were healed on their faith not his they were healed on their own faith and not just the display of the power of God why is that because the primary way for us to receive our healing is through the word through faith in God's word Now, what does that look like? It says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. It doesn't say the prayer of faith might heal the sick. It doesn't say the odds are good for the prayer of faith to heal the sick. James is anointed of the Holy Ghost to write to the church and say the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. It's a guarantee. This is God's will. This is God's plan. This is his purpose. And therefore, he makes a way for each and every one of us to have access to this prayer of faith to receive our healing And that's the only instruction that ever gives to the church concerning sickness and disease and the receiving of healing. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. What does that look like? Maybe if we knew what the prayer of faith looked like, then we could all pray that prayer of faith and receive our healing. Well, thank God that's true. And thank God he gave us an example of it. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, we'll start reading a little bit before we get to the chapters that we're looking for, or uh, the verses that we're looking for. Let's start in verse 12, Mark 11, verse 12, it says, And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. This is talking about Jesus. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. The translators added the word yet. Now this simply means, and a lot of us aren't familiar with this kind of tree, but it simply means that the tree produces fruit and leaves at the same time. So when, it sees, when he sees, Jesus sees the fig tree with green leaves on it from a distance, 
he assumes, because this is the way that productive trees operate, he assumes that there are figs on it. The trees, the leaves are a sign that the tree is fruitful. But he gets to it and there's no leave, nothing but leaves on it. And so Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. If the tree's not going to produce, Jesus is going to remove it from his presence. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now skip down with me to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they're coming by that same place again, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So something has obviously changed. Yesterday it had green leaves on it. It looked healthy. It looked fruitful even though it was uh, without figs. But now it's dried up like a bolt of lightning has struck it. And in the morning they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Now there's an implied question here that Jesus answers and speaks to his disciples about. Peter doesn't ask anything. He just says, look at the fig tree that you cursed yesterday. And Jesus knows that they don't understand how this happened, so he gives them an explanation. And that explanation starts in verse 22 where he said, Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Now there's different translations of this verse of Scripture. One translation is have the faith of God. Well, what kind of faith does God have? What would be the faith of God? Some people have coined the phrase the God kind of faith. Well, that's not a scriptural phrase, but right on the other hand, what kind of faith would God have other than the God kind of faith? And Jesus is saying that that kind of faith, that same measure of faith, that same operation of faith that he used the day before to curse the fig tree, create a change in that circumstance, is the kind of faith that we can use in any and every situation. Jesus does not say, I'm the son of God, don't try this at home. He simply says, that the operation of faith will change things in your life just like I used faith to change something in my life. He said, have faith in God or have the faith of God, the God kind of faith. Then he describes what that's like. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, first thing you need to understand, folks, is that the God kind of faith has everything to do with what you say. The God kind of faith pertains to and is dependent wholly on your words. Now, when people get a hold of that, just that, how that the will of God is important to know so that we can have a basis for faith, but the will of God is not the final determination on what will happen in your life or mind. What we say is going to be the final determinant. It's not just that God wants all mankind to be free from sickness and disease. He's made available the power through the work of Jesus for us to be free from sickness and disease. Well, if he wants that so much to have made a way for us to have it, why do so many people do without it? Because of what they say. The God kind of faith has to do with what you say. The words that come out of your mouth and the words that come out of mine. So he says, verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Now he cursed a fig tree, but he's saying it works on mountains or some kind of problem that looks way too big for you. No matter what it might be. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now notice in verse 22 he's describing faith. Have the faith of God. He tells us in verse 23 that faith works by the words of your mouth. 
Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. Now, what does it mean to doubt in the heart, and what does it mean to believe in the heart? Well, very simply, without taking all week long to describe it and go into detail from the Scripture, believing with the heart means believing according to what God says. Choosing to believe the truth of God's Word no matter what things look like. Choosing to believe God's Word is truth no matter how we feel. Relative to sickness and disease, it means to choose to believe that God's Word is true. Where He wills to heal you and has made a way for you to be healed. He sent his word to heal you, no matter what it looks like or no matter what it feels like. So Jesus says, if we'll believe according to the word and not according to what we see and feel, remember Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things that are hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith always deals with the unseen. See, if you can see something, you don't have to have faith for it. Faith comes to an end when the things we're believing for become physical realities. Because then we don't need faith for it. You only need faith for the things that you can't see. Well, if sickness is attacking our body and we can't see the healing that the Bible says Jesus secured for us, then we're going to need faith to take hold of it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall let no circumstance, no pain, no condition, nothing to the contrary, shake him from the truth that he's established in his heart from God's word. He shall have whatsoever he saith. See, the conditions for having what you say is to believe and not doubt in your heart. The condition for having what you say, for having or obtaining in physical reality the healing that we confess is to not change our confession no matter what we see or what we feel. Now notice that he's talking about the operation of faith in verse 23 and the word prayer is not anywhere in that. So what does that tell us? That tells us faith will work without praying. Or in other words, faith works by saying. But verse 24 now talks about faith or the prayer of faith. Verse 24, because the principle of faith is believing in your heart and saying with your mouth in verse 23, he says, here's how you use it in prayer. Verse 24, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Well, healing is a desire for those that are sick, isn't it? What things soever you desire. He didn't put any restriction on it. He didn't put any limits on it. He said, whatever you desire. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them. And you shall have them. So what things soever we desire. This being healing school. We're talking about healing from sickness and disease. What things soever you desire. Is healing for the physical body. In this case. So he says healing for the physical body. Physical healing for our bodies. When we pray. We're supposed to believe that we receive the healing for our physical bodies. And then. We shall have healing for our physical bodies. Now notice the order of that. And remember this is what James said in verse chapter 5, verse 15. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. James is telling us the very same thing Jesus did. Jesus is saying you can have whatever you believe for and hold fast to. Whatever you pray in faith about. And here's how he said it works. Here's what the prayer of faith for healing looks like. 
Remember we asked the question, what does that prayer of faith look like that James 5.15 is talking about that heals the sick every time? Jesus gives us an example. He said, here's what it looks like. Because healing is the thing you desire. Because the Bible says that God wants you well. Because the Bible says God sent his word and sent healing to you and me. Here's what that prayer of faith looks like. When you pray, you believe that you receive healing. And then after that, you shall have healing. When do you believe you receive healing? Before you have it. When do you have it? After you believe you receive it. As we said before, faith always deals with the unseen. So the prayer of faith declares that healing is ours or mine while sickness is still present on the body. And Jesus said that if we wouldn't doubt in our heart, that means if we wouldn't change what we believe because of the circumstances, he said that we would have that kind of prayer produces results. We would have our healing. That healing would become a physical reality. What does that mean? Well, F.F. F. Bosworth said it this way, and I really like the way he said it. I want to give him credit for doing it. He said that that means healing must exist on two levels or in two forms. First, in the unseen realm, and then second, in the physical realm. Because he said, and this is certainly true, it's borne out by Scripture, he said if we'll believe that healing is ours in the unseen realm because of the finished work of Jesus... And the Bible does say Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. The same verse of scripture that says that Jesus was wounded for our sins and bruised for our iniquities says with his stripes we were healed. Same benefits David was talking about who forgiveth all thy iniquities and heals all thy, healeth all thy, uh, thy diseases. Forgiveness and healing go hand in hand and always have with God. So Brother Bosworth said it this way. He said if we'll believe that we receive healing in the unseen realm and not waver from our confession that's the equivalent of not doubting in your heart if we won't waver in our confession but we'll hold fast to the truth that healing is ours and healing was accomplished by the work of Jesus on the cross if we'll hold fast to that then all the forces of hell cannot stop us from having it in physical reality now folks that's as simple as the truth of healing comes it's not necessarily easy to stand fast. There are going to be a lot of circumstances and a lot of problems, a lot of situations that the devil's going to try to bring up before you and me to refute or attempt to refute the truth of God's word concerning healing. But if we will hold fast, and it's a choice, it's not a matter of whether you can or not, it's a matter of whether you will or not. If we will hold fast the profession of our faith, we will have whatsoever we say. If we believe we receive healing, and hold fast to that belief, no matter what we see, no matter what we feel, no matter what bad report comes, or any other circumstance that arises, Jesus said, God's word to us that cannot change and cannot lie, God's word is that you will have your healing. Now there he's talking about healing in physical form, not in the unseen form or unseen realm alone, but your confession changes your circumstances or can change your circumstances it's up to you and me but we have the ability to take the unseen realities of healing for our physical bodies and bring them into this physical realm through the belief of our heart 
and the words of our mouth. And all of the forces of hell cannot change that. All the forces of hell cannot resist that or keep it from coming to pass. That's the guarantee that James is giving us, that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall, not might, not we hope so, not maybe so, but the Lord shall raise them up. The Lord shall raise them up. So what's our part? Our part is because of the word of God that tells us Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. We choose to accept and receive that healing by faith before we can see it, before we feel it, before we have any physical evidence of it in any form. We believe that we, we receive the unseen healing power of God. And as we hold fast and stand fast in faith, declaring the truth of God's word in the face of circumstance and symptoms and pain, God makes sure that we have it in physical form. He brings it to pass in our lives. And that's how the church walks in health. And it works every time. Might not work instantly. Might not work in the first week. Might take a month. Might take a year. The Bible doesn't talk about time. That's in God's hand, not in ours. But no matter the time that has passed, we hold fast the profession of our faith, and God makes it a reality in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your healing power. We thank you that you sent Jesus to bear our sins, bear our iniquities, take the chastisement of our peace upon him, and stripes upon his back. Because with those stripes, by those stripes, we were healed. We therefore believe that we receive our healing, Father. We claim the healing power of God, not because we see it, not because we feel it, but because your word declares it. And we determine, Father, to hold fast the profession of our faith, no matter what comes, no matter whether the symptoms get worse or whether they get better. We choose to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We will continually say we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that as we hold fast that profession of faith, you make it a reality in our lives and in our bodies. We thank you, Father, that your word becomes health or medicine to all our flesh, to drive out every sickness and every disease, to remove every tumor, to cause every cancer to dissipate, wither and dry up and depart from our bodies. We thank you, Father, that your word is greater than any circumstance, any sickness, any condition, any symptom. And we choose your word, Father. We thank you, therefore, for raising us up. We give you glory and honor and praise for that which we do not yet see. We thank you for the reality of your healing power in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. That's what the prayer of faith looks like, folks. And the prayer of faith will work every time. Not just for healing for the physical body, but everything that the Bible says Jesus did for us. It works every time. Satan knows that you are a threat now. He knows that if you choose to withstand his onslaught and to continue to speak healing words, continue to speak in line with receiving your healing that is already done, he knows that if you begin to praise God for the answer before you see the answer, he knows he's going to lose somebody 
and his influence over their lives will be diminished. He knows he can't stop it. So he's going to try to convince you and me that what we've done is foolish. But if we'll hold fast to the word, he'll try to tell us that we're, that we're lying, that we're not speaking the truth, because he wants us to talk circumstance. But if you'll speak the word instead of circumstance, he knows he's powerless to enforce the sickness and disease that he's brought to our bodies. Thank God he is. Thank God we are under the influence of God's word and it produces healing for our flesh every time. Amen? Say it with me. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. No matter what it looks like, no matter how I feel, I believe God's word is true. I believe that healing is mine. Amen. You don't change that confession, and he can't stop the healing power of God from raising you up. Amen. God bless you.